Good morning, afternoon or evening. My name is Matt Ricardo and you are listening to the Matt Ricardo's London Varieties podcast. On this show you'll get a little taster of the malarkey that occurs once a month at the Leicester Square Theatre and, as a special treat, you'll also get to hear my interview with the great Al Murray. Away from his pub landlord persona, he talks about his start as a speciality act, how the pub landlord was born and what it's like being one of the most successful, beloved and occasionally misunderstood comedians in the country. Did we really spend a delicious few seconds reassuring each other that we are indeed pixies? Yes, yes we did. Hope you enjoy the show. This is a variety show. Okay, now whenever people talk about variety, they talk about the death of variety. All you hear is what killed variety, TV killed variety, which isn't true, by the way. TV did not kill variety. What killed variety was greedy venue managers booking a rock and roll act which was cheaper than a whole bill of performers and could play for just as long to a younger audience. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but the death of variety, that's the thing. And, and the thing is, it's a lie. It never happened. Variety didn't die. Sure, the musicals, the variety theatres, they closed down. And a few of the performers chucked it all in and got real jobs. But most of them obviously didn't. It just became a thing where if you wanted to find variety performers, you had to look a little bit a little bit harder for them. They, they performed in different venues. They performed uh, end-of-the-pier shows, pantomimes, working men's clubs, uh, holiday camps, uh, cruise ships, street corners, piazzas, including one particular one about half a mile from here that spawned a lot of tonight's performers. But tonight they are here. Tonight, on this very stage, before your very eyes, I bring you what is, and I'm being honest here, for my money, one of the best bills of variety I've ever had the pleasure of being involved in. So, ladies and gentlemen, the question is, do you want to see a show? Yes! He is, as I said, reliably odd. I know you're going to enjoy the very funny Mr. Elliot Mason! Thank you, thank you. Who wants to hear a song about corporate rebranding? That's good. When they changed Marathon to Snickers, I nearly wet myself. And when they changed Opal Fruits to Starburst, I feared for my mental health. When they changed I Love You Lay to Olay, I threw my wife off a cliff. But nothing affected me quite the way The day they turned Jif to Sif When they changed Dime Bar to Dame Bar I vomited into my socks And when the Millennium Dome became the O2 Arena I nailed myself into a box When they changed Emmerdale Farm to Emmerdale The shock turned my hair to a quiff but nothing affected me quite the way The day they turned Jif to Sif Oh, why do things change? Oh, why do things change? Just leave them be oh, Won't you just leave them be for me? When Tanganyika and Zanzibar became Tanzania Steam bellowed out of my ears And when Richard Whiteley became Des O'Connor <sighs> What the hell was that all about? It brought to life all of my fears When they changed Imac 
to Veet, I confess. I let loose a tear and a sniff. Come on, nothing affected me quite the way that I said you. Yeah. Why do things change? Everybody! What? What happened then? Just leave me. I want you just leave me. For me. When they change Prince to a squiggly mark, I stab myself with a fork. And when they change labor to new labor, I force fed a rabbi some pork. Oh, yeah, I went there. When East 17 became E17, I reached for my handkerchief. I'm not nothing affected me quite in the way of that. The Dalit and Jeff. Yeah. Why do things change? Everybody! Whoa. Just leave me. Oh, please just leave me. For me. Can I take a fight back? Why do things change? Please clap. Thank you, thank you very much, thank you. Mr. Elliot Mason, there you go, look at that. Lovely. Ladies and gentlemen, those of you that were here last month will remember that every month here at the Varieties, I set myself a challenge, a, a trick that I cannot do, that I spend the four weeks in between the shows learning to do, and I perform it for the first time live on stage as I am about to do this evening. Um, and remember what last month's trick challenge was? Balls. Yeah. Cannonballs. Cannonballs, yeah. Okay, so for those of you who weren't here, about 100 years ago, I'll make this brief, one of the, uh, one of the big sort of uh, styles of juggling was the strongman juggler. And the, the key feat of dexterity and strength for this style of juggling was to catapult, juggle, or throw a cannonball high into the air and to catch it on the back of your neck. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to my month. In 1936, a vaudeville performer named Paula De Luca, she was 22, she performed this trick. She got the neck catch literally half an inch wrong. Three days later, she died. This evening, for you, for your entertainment, <laughs> I will attempt the trick that killed Paula De Luca. Okay, I haven't done it yet. This is all just talk so far. Now, to be a strongman juggler, um, and, and this sounds like, uh, you know, blarney, but it's really true, to juggle and, and, and to, to, to throw and catch a, a, a bowling ball, which is what I'm using because cannonballs are hard to come by these days, <laughs> you need to have, obviously, strong arms, strong, but in, essentially a strong core. I put my back out doing this trick, but I did get some help in developing a strong core. Hello. So last month at the show, I made the perhaps foolhardy uh, challenge to myself to become a strongman juggler. So here I am at the gym, and I'm going to enlist a friend of mine to help me get strong. So I have enlisted the help of my friend, uh, bodybuilding champion, Lisa Caradas, who's going to get me in shape for this month's challenge. So Lisa... 
What's the first step? First step is you need to get changed. Take that suit off. Eesh. I never take the suit off. The trick is, <clears throat> I juggle a bowling ball and two normal balls. I throw the bowling ball into the air, I catch it on the back of my neck. Now, before I get onto the bowling balls, I'd like to talk a little bit about the neck catch. Now, this catch, it's, it's one of the classic moves of juggling. Um, it was invented in, in Russia, the great tradition of Russian circus. Uh, and in Russia, it's called the swan catch because of the, the shape your body makes when you make the catch. It's a lovely name. In, in America, in vaudeville, where it found its, its fame, it was called the spine tingler catch, which is kind of great, isn't it? In England, it's called the neck catch. So... <laughs> we are not a creative people by nature. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt... Just to show you what the catch looks like, I'm going to attempt it with a five-ball juggle. See, I felt bad about telling you I was going to do something dangerous and then not delivering. So, next month, I'm going to juggle something genuinely dangerous. And, and when I say dangerous, it's not like, like in magic where things look dangerous and they're only really dangerous if something goes wrong. I, I, I wanted to find the most potentially hazardous thing I could juggle. Now, you've seen a lot of jugglers juggle, you know, like those big, those big machetes. They're not real. They're juggling props. They're blunt as a brick. You've seen jugglers juggle chainsaws. They, they, there's a little knob on the handle of the chainsaw that switches off the blade. They're not even running. It's, it's, it's all a fake. It's all, you know, show business, isn't it? But I wanted, to, I wanted to literally find something that would allow me to gamble on my neck by betting on my skill. And then I saw this. Cut all that with a regular knife? Not on your life. Electric knives are a little faster, but you're stuck to the wall. And there's nothing nice about an ugly slice. Yuck! What you need is the one-touch cordless knife. The turbocharged kitchen tool with over 2,000 blade strokes per minute to perfectly slice, dice, chop, cut, cube... So! I know what you're thinking. You're thinking he bought one. I didn't buy one. I bought three. On this very stage, in one month's time, I will attempt, and please fucking note the word attempt, to juggle three one-touch cordless electric carving knives jammed in the on position. You think you're scared? I am fucking shitting myself on this one. I tried it. I, tried, I had about five minutes with it last week. Tried throwing one, not even turned on. Cut myself twice. So, ladies and gentlemen... Uh, would you like to see your next act? Yes. We have for you a magician, but that's not enough. Um, you all know what a magic circle is. You all know what it represents to the craft and the art of magic. Only one man in the history of the magic circle has won both their close-up magician and their stage magician awards. One man in the history of the magic circle has achieved this. That man, ladies and gentlemen... Mr. Peter Wardell. Good evening. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> My name's Pete, and what I'd like to show you is the kind of magic that you often see on television, but without any of the editing. Thank you very much, indeed. Thank you very much. 
Mr. P. Waddell! Yeah, man! Ladies and gentlemen, did you have a good first half? Yes! See you in 15 minutes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to waste any time. Please welcome Mr. Al Murray. <laughs> 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 Evening. Right. Hello. Hello. So, what was the young Al Murray like? What were you like as a kid? Uh, um, shorter. Right. Chiefly. <laughs> shorter, um, uh, bookish, straight, really fucking square and straight, and, uh, and uh, never imagined that I would find myself doing what I, what I do for a living. Yeah, same, same here, really. You know, yeah. Just, it's quite improbable, really, showing off. That's <laughs> what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. So you are, I mean, I, I have here that you were kind of into drama and music equally. Yeah, there. yeah. There were, we, I mean, I, I went to, um, I, the school I went to, we had a, they had a big music department and, a big, and, a re, and one drama teacher who was really, really brilliant. And I, I was into playing drums in bands and doing, and, uh, but, 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 you know, we weren't allowed a rock band. It was a jazz band and a, Di a Dixie band and stuff like that. And then doing acting, and we had a drama teacher who got us to write, and that's really where, the, where performing and writing, you know, that, that one good teacher thing. Mm. Uh, and I tracked him down uh, a while ago to thank him. And, um, and it took ages, and I found, found my way to get to speak to the guy. And, he, and I wrote him an email to say, you know, really heartfelt on me, saying thank you so much, you know, and... All this, and he wrote back going, Great, well, I program a festival, maybe I can get you for a rate. Oh. Christ, he was human, after all. <laughs> it's really funny. So, at what point did it become comedy? Uh, when I got to university, my first week, uh, I went to Oxford um, uh, on account, as Simon Munner used to say, of, his inc of my incredibly high A level results. And uh, <laughs> I, I went there, and the first day there was a music room at the college I was at, and I set my drum kit up in the music room. And in the music room was Stuart Lee and Richard Herring talking, <laughs> seriously, talking about the show that they were about to do. Because they'd, they'd been to Edinburgh that summer and had come back to Oxford like conquering heroes, even though they'd actually been playing to seven people a day and <laughs> neglected to tell anyone that bit. And um, I ran into them that evening, and they said, I said, Well, what do you do? And they said, oh, We're doing comedy. And, and that, that's where I found out about it. And then there was a fortnightly thing where you had to write new material and turn up and, and perform and do that, and I drifted into it through there. So it's a chance encounter with uh, those two. <laughs> so your first Edinburgh was with the Oxford Review? Uh, no, it was the year before when I did a kids' show called School for Clowns. Where we... But I had this developing stand-up thing, uh, special really, uh, well, that, yeah. Yeah, that, I was doing, that I started doing at uni and then did for two or three years on the circuit afterwards. So tell me about you as a speciality act. Has any, anyone seen it? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, we'll get to that. The, the special act was basically, it was sound effects. It was a sound effects thing acted out with, with mime. And it was uh, supposed to be like... Look, I'll show you it. Can I, do you okay, want to see have, this? It's better, it's better. Yeah, Mr. Murray's microphone. Show, show, don't tell. Right, OK. So what I would do is I'd... I'd come on in a in a in a bloodstained tuxedo, <laughs> and I had sort of flock of seagulls hair then, big floppy fringe, and I'd come up and go, "Hello, I'm a murderer. I'd like to do some murders for you now." <laughs> you see, it still it still works. Yeah. 
And I'd say uh, the first of these is a uh, first murder I'd like to do for you now is a Walther PPK 9mm semi automatic pistol, as favoured by James Bond, uh, with added silencer or suppressor. And then we'd, <laughs> and then I'd do an AK-47, and then I'd do an RPG-7, but not really, not an accurate impression at all. <laughs> and then I'd, uh, no it doesn't. Oh well, no, I, I, I three squeezed three bloody good years out of it. I'll have you know. <laughs> uh, and then it, and then it got bigger and bigger. And then I used to, at the end, I used to do this thing where I'd start a propeller and then feed animals into it. <laughs> and, uh, and a. And no, 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 no. I would do it, but I just cannot remember the patter. I can't remember the, pa- and it's nothing without the patter. It, I mean, you know, like, like your act without the. <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> Get off my stage! <laughs> no, without the without the patter, it is literally yeah. someone going. <laughs> like that, which, and I, you know, I, I have a degree from Oxford, and I'd be on a stage going, <laughs> thinking to myself. Maybe this is the wrong turn I've taken here. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, on my, 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 um, my huge amount of research for this interview, yeah. I found this tantalising fact, which I hope is a fact, that you toured with Freddie Starr. No. No? Not true. <laughs> the internet is wrong? No, I've never... Really? T- no, I've, I've never even met... I've not been a... Luckily, I've not been in a room with him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was... <laughs> you tree will not be calling. <laughs> <laughs> if it comes up on your phone, you tree, you know you're in the shit, don't you? You don't answer it, you just don't, you don't answer, answer it. Yeah. it. <laughs> so, so I guess we have to do the transition from speciality act to... And in fact, I mean, this is the reason I wanted to have you here, because both your, your sound effects act and uh, the thing for which you are better known, yeah. they're both very much variety musical style styles of performance. You know, it, it's, it's sound effects... It's what they would call an eccentric special act, and now yeah. it's character comedy yeah. used for satire, which is a musical staple. Yeah, well, so how did burlesque, you, in yeah, fact. Totally, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah, yeah. So how did you get from sound effects to... Well, I did, I, did a, I did a show... Um, I, I fell in with Harry Hill um, when we were both writing on... Uh, uh, Radio 4 used to have this programme called Weekending, and they had an open, an open writing thing on a Wednesday, where, which was like a soup kitchen, and people were coming off the street and submit ideas on the week's news and it was classic satire writing so the sketch would always start Prime Minister you wanted to see me and <laughs> you're totally enough to write yes Foreign Secretary uh, please sit down and, and that's how the sketches were all would, what they'd all be like and Harry came in one, one week and it was the, when Leaves on the Line first happened <laughs> it's that long ago <laughs> Leaves on the Line is, is like a race memory now it's like a cultural memory but it actually once happened there were Leaves on the Line <laughs> And the new trains... And my dad worked for the railway at the time, and I was furious that everyone was laughing at this, because it was new light rolling stock that everyone wanted. And... Uh, <laughs> much safer, much quicker. But these leaves... <laughs> and it's leaves on the line, a wrong kind of snow, because it, it was that yeah. same period. And Harry came in, and he pitched a sketch about a giant conker that had rolled down in front of a tunnel. <laughs> and so I thought, well, this bloke, he's not like the others... And so we started hanging out, and then when he went to Edinburgh, I'd do the voices and stuff backstage, which is how I ended up doing the Big Brother Alan thing in the TV show with him. 
And I do voices off stage, a bit of a bit of going about, fooling around. And we had a little, we had this little band, the pub band, which was me, him, and his mate Matt, who's a doctor, um, uh, who was very short and a, and a doctor. And well, no, but he once got he got ambushed in an interview where some where he's drunk in a bar in Edinburgh, they get, and someone said to them, what, "What would your patients think if they saw you on stage doing this?" He goes, "Oh, I don't give a shit. Most of them are too old, and uh, I don't care what they think." And that then appeared in me. That appeared in the Daily Telegraph the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we had a little... We, uh, we used to jam in, this, in, in our flat. We'd jam in our flat, and then one evening I said, well, why don't we go down to the, um, the, the old cabaret bar at the, at the old Fringe Club in Edinburgh and, and play there and do a show, and we talked our way in and we played. It went really well. So the next year we came back to Edinburgh with a show called Pub International, or Pub International, like Club International, it is, which is a defunct... Porn mag, I think. And uh, porn, who remembers that? And uh, <laughs> you used to have to buy it. And, and the, I'm from a very long time ago, obviously. And basically, we, we, we did a show which had Harry doing some stand up, um, uh, Matt and him, uh, Harry and Matt doing this weird dances in a thing they called the Two Simon and Garfunkel, um, where they danced together to a, to a Burt Backrack tune or something, or Herb Alpert. Then we had a film, um, a movie, which, and the pitch of the movie is, when will there be a harvester for the world? When will, there, <laughs> when will, the, when will the world go down the pub together and realise it hasn't got any... You know, that we, if we all just had a pint together, everything would be all right. <laughs> right? And then there would, the band would come on and play at the end. The whole thing was about getting the band on the end, all tilted towards that. And when we got to Edinburgh, we didn't have a linking device, and I hadn't come up with something. And I tried something that hadn't worked, character thing, it didn't work. And the night we started, and we know we're behind there... In, in the dressing room with a room filling up in a venue not dissimilar to this kind of vibe at the cabaret bar at the Pleasance, I said, well, how about I be... How about we say that the, the, the comp hasn't turned up and the barman, the landlord in this bar, has offered to fill in? And that was five minutes before we started. And Harry went, well, well yeah, whatever, because he was looking at his set. And, and, I, and I went on and went, well, cheers! And, and, the, and this thing just started um, coming out. <laughs> Uh, and the, we did two weeks, three weeks of that show, and by the end of it, I had half an hour of patter out of material, realised I could write this thing and it would work. And then we went on a big tour, did 70 dates, and by the end of it, I had an hour and a half of material <laughs> just from having to do it. You know, it's that thing of... I didn't have time to think of what's it going to be. I had to do it, and Harry had a, Harry worked very hard and had a high standard, and you th- I thought, well, I'm going to have to pedal hard to keep up. And that's where the pub landlord came from, completely by accident. And, and that's why he hasn't really got a name... Um, uh, it gets called me, but that's a fuck-up that I haven't remedied. Um, <laughs> How long have you been doing be, it for well, now? Oh, 20 years, yeah. next year. It was, meant to be, it was meant to be Al Murray's pub landlord, or as the pub landlord. And, and so the idea, if I wanted to do someone else, it would be Al Murray's other thing, you know, airline yeah. pilot or whatever. And, and so it... <laughs> so basically, the pilot hasn't turned up. And I... <laughs> And I'll go on. Uh, and so that's where it came, and it was a complete accident. And that's why I think, that's why I think it works, because its it's, its initial sole reason was to compare and to be funny and to be in character. And, of course, being in character, you can say anything, and comparing, you've got to, you've got to involve people, which the pub landlord, if he, came, if he existed, if he came on, he'd go, you're drinking the wrong fucking drink, look, you're lousy braces. He'd do that. So it... <laughs> <laughs> 
So doing it is natural. It's natural. With the, they are lovely braces. They're lovely braces. They're very similar to mine. It's, we talked natural. about it earlier. <laughs> but it's natural with the turn, so it all kind of mm. fell into place. It's quite odd. So how many years between that moment on, on the Harry Hill show and winning the Perrier? Uh, that was five years. Five years of and just taking it in the clubs and working it. And yeah, working yeah, it. and I did sort of three, four, five years of doing, or four years of definitely of doing sort of three to 400 gigs a year, really hammering it at the circuit and, and dying the deaths and, and doubling and trebling up and all that sort of stuff. And, I mean, you know, I, I, was, I always used to think, if I do this for three or four years and, I, and I'm still shit at the end of this, I should give up. I'm not, this isn't for me. Yeah. You know, what was brilliant in the... You know, there were no courses and there wasn't, there wasn't a... There wasn't, like, an apparent career structure of go and do some presenting, you know. And I, 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 like, I believe in being a comic for its own sake. For it, it's an end in itself, you know. Mm. Yeah. What, what strikes me about, about The Landlord is that it is, it's, quite, it's quite a cartoonish character. Yeah, yeah. But it's fully rounded. It, it, it seems kind of real while being really bored strokes. And I was trying to find someone else... Another character comic act that I thought was similar, and all I could find was Dame Medna. Yeah, <laughs> but it's true though in, ter- in, no, in, in theatrical I'll, I'll style. Take, I'll take that because it is. Yeah. You know, you look at it the first thing, and it's a cartoon, but actually, it's no. I it's, agree. It's I, no, I agree. And Dame Medna is very much the thing. Very much the thing. At one point, I thought, right. Well, what am I? What? What? How do I view this? What's it supposed to be in terms of the archetype? And, and Dame Medna is the thing where I think, yeah, actually, that's the. That's kind of what I'm. And also the, doing it for a long time and it becoming a thing that people just become... Uh, uh, you know, the, f- the first year I did it at Edinburgh, it did really well. And I got... A, I mean, I, I was nominated for the Perrier and then everyone's immediately going, well, what are you going to do next year? I thought, well, this is working. I'll write another hour. <laughs> and then the next year, I'll write another hour. You know, because the character... The character seemed... Uh, you know, I don't want to go on as me. It'd be terribly boring. You know, me coming on, talking about what I'm interested in. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I find it. I'm, I'm amazed when comics come on and talk, talk about their lives. You think, you guess? I mean, <laughs> I mean, they obviously do. And no, and if it's funny, it doesn't matter. And, and in fact, Brendan Burns very wisely said, "Is that comics tell the joke, kind of jokes they can tell? If you mm. if you've got a comic who goes, oh, I don't really like one-liners, it's because he can't do them. Yeah. And and if you if you, uh, I, I can't do observational, and I can't do political because because I just find it too um, difficult to make my mind up about anything. So, <laughs> and I don't... You what? Because women are very indecisive, so... Am I a woman? It's <laughs> a fair question, I think. There's only one way we can find out the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> OK, come on then. Show business. <laughs> <laughs> No, I am not a woman. <laughs> so that... So <laughs> That's not on your clipboard, is it? You know, it really isn't. <laughs> so how, do you know how many hours of material you've done now? Yes, I have... <laughs> well, four year, uh, three years ago in Edinburgh, I went back and, and relearned the four shows I'd done in the 90s so we, and did them on consecutive afternoons. Whoa. Uh, got the lists out and I did it for fun. I thought, can I do this? Is this possible? And the first show I knew really well, the last show I knew really, really well, because I then toured it like for 100 dates, so it was really, it's hardwired. The second one I knew pretty well, and the third one, I got the list out, and I, I looked at the list, and it's just like, what is any, what is any of this bullshit? <laughs> and I couldn't make head and tail of it, and then gradually it all came back. And I did, I did those, so there's four hours from the 90s, then I did, then I did 
seven shows, all of which were probably two hours long in the in the in the two thousands in the noughties. So there's about twenty hours of Jesus. There's about twenty hours of bullshit. <laughs> Almost of, a complete of day of blather. landlord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could maybe we one day we'll go to Edinburgh and just do all no. <laughs> so that, that, that what a first, terrible notion. <laughs> God help us all. That that first half hour of every show, yeah. where you come out and you play with the audience. That for I think for a lot of people, certainly for me, that's my favourite thing. Oh, thank that's you. So nice. How 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 improvised is it? Because you must get the same. Well, it, it's pretty responses. improvised. The, the the thing that's always different is the combination. So there are there are there are there's thread material. There's things you'd always use. There's things that are, are reflexive. There's things as well that 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 you you know are going to lead you somewhere else. But but the, but the combinations are always different. So you you mm. it, it has to be. You have to be loose with it because you can't always guarantee getting a lawyer or an IT guy or a cow farmer. Or, I mean, in, in, in Glasgow on Sunday night, um, I had a cow farmer and his wife. Um, there was a male nurse and his wife who was also a nurse. There was a fat graphic designer up the other end. <laughs> there was a 14-year-old boy with his father who was an engineer there was a man who drove lorries full of aggregate over there with his wife, who clearly regarded herself as a boiling hot milf. Um, <laughs> uh, and then his mate, Jimmy. Uh, and, and, yeah, and, and, and so the com- you know, and that, that combination is different. And, and what also happens is every now and again, you'll get... I mean, I remember in uh, Dartford once getting, a, getting two blokes sat next to each other. One of them was a funeral director... And the other one removed um, asbestos for a living. So the running joke then becomes, ah, you know, like the terrible cough, ah, like that. And then saying to the, the other guy, don't bother trying to cremate him, there's no point. You know. And, and that, won't, you know, that won't happen again. Yeah. And the, combina- the combinations of the things that, make it, that, that mean you have to improvise. You, you, and also, I'll go... I will go fucking nuts if I came out looking for the, the same marks every night. And there's always, you, you know, I used to do a thing where I'd look for an old guy and then he'd get, he'd get reintegrated. But I've stopped doing that because it, it becomes too set. And we do this tour, when this tour ends, we'll have done, done the show, I'll have done the show 120 times and you don't want it to get too set because it's boring. It becomes yeah. boring. He's, <laughs> he, he's, he's really flexible as a character in yeah. terms of format. You've used him... Every format. What? Yeah, well, we, yeah. I mean, the sitcom, the sitcom is the one that I was that that we did a load of to start with. It's the first thing yeah. I did with him, and, I, and the, the, on reflection, um, I'm sort of least comfortable with because we didn't quite get it. Or, or we did, for my mind, we did get it right. But then I generally think everything I've done, I haven't quite got right. I did. I did but, rewatch a couple this yeah, week. They're, they're very they're broad. Good. Yeah, I they're like, all right, yeah. and they're kind of. I think they're kind of. Um, uh, we, it, it, that came out the week the Office came out when things without a laugh oh. track. And it all being very like down, downplayed, and and uh, you know, and and the office is obviously fucking brilliant. So to come out the same week as that with a thing where we were all falling over and pouring beer on each other and shouting <laughs> was possibly a wrong step. But but yeah, he is flexible, and we now think of it of as what as the the chat show in particular. That the idea with that was how the hell has he got a chat show? What, what disaster has befallen ITV that he's got a chat show? <laughs> now let's see what he's going to do to the guests and to those, yeah. the, the celeb fodder we'd have. And that, and that 
you know, and the game show we did as well. That's the idea is that something's gone wrong and this guy's got a game show. And it's his idea of what it should be like from having watched a few when he was pissed or what he remembers when he was a kid. How, how was the process of doing that, the big ITV shiny floor? Because I've been a guest on a couple of those shows and they're kind of... I found them terrifying. Well, we... We... Um, we, <laughs> we had... Working with a big network, with a big network like that one... <laughs> so working with ITV <laughs> is... It, it, was, it, was, it was fascinating because... Um, uh, I had a conversation with someone where they said, we like the set, but we don't know how Friday night it is. Uh, maybe if you move the backing over to the left a bit, it'll be a bit more Friday night. Or maybe if you had something different behind you, it'll be a bit more Friday night. And one of the writers then went, well, what about the Saturday repeat? How will it look then? <laughs> and so there's that. That's the world you, that's the world you yeah. enter. But, I mean, we were pretty much... I mean, we were... For better and for worse, we were pretty much left to our own devices, and we just we just got on with making the show we wanted to make, um, uh, um, not doing it the way, as far as I can work out, the way people do chat shows at all, and doing it because do, it wasn't a chat show; it was a comedy show with the guests fed in as subjects. They weren't. I wasn't interested in their record or their fucking book or their <laughs> film or their TV show. Who gives a shit? I mean, you you want if you get one of the Kemp brothers on, you don't want to know about the film he's just made. You want to roast him mercilessly about Spandau Ballet (laughs) and whether Ross really is his brother (laughs) that show that was really good because we had um, Buzz Aldrin on at the end and we had we had yeah exactly so we had we had Martin Kemp Jodie Kidd and Buzz Aldrin and um, Jesus I know completely ridiculous so we're we're half, I'm halfway through the Martin Kemp interview, and, I, and the thing is, is, when you do the research chat, they've got all their anecdotes, and you watch, the, you watch the talk shows they've done before, and they've got all their anecdotes, and you know if you ask them a question, they're, go, they're going to go into regurgitate mode, and they do, like Parky does, Par- Parkinson's classic thing with uh, someone like Michael Caine, that's going, so, uh, you know, Grand Inquisitor style, so tell me, uh, how did you get the part in Zulu? And then Michael Caine will tell you the story, I was in a restaurant, and sign, you know, whatever, you know, we've heard it, who gives a shit, it's 40 years, 50 years ago, you know, and the infantry weren't even Welsh, anyway, the point is, they weren't, they weren't, it's a fabrication of the movie, anyway, so what we decided to do is you could do that, so with Martin Kemp, I asked him a thing, and he gets going on the anecdote, and I said, do you know what, we haven't got time for that, I've got a bloke who went to the moon in a minute, and I'm not really interested in... And he did it, I did that to him and I did it to Jodie Kidd as well. Yeah, but you're just a model, who cares? You know, I've got a bloke who, bloke who went to the moon, shut up. Oh. <laughs> We've got to go to the break, you know. I've got a bloke, one of the a second man on the moon, shut your face. And it was really, really funny. The, pa- <laughs> <laughs> the power that a character gives you to be incredibly rude. Yeah. That, that armour of having a character. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Yeah, no, it's a re- uh, we, I mean, the thing, we used to, the thing we used to do as well, if you had a musician on, you'd, 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 you'd sing, I'd do that thing of singing the hit I'm banging my leg, you know, so uh, one of the spies goes, tell me what you want, what you really, really want, tell me what you want. you know, in her face, ziggy, 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 oh, you must never tire of that. And then again, I'll do another one, oh, mama, I love you, like that. Because the problem is, is so much of it, so much of the, the stuff that's fed through the showbiz sausage machine is essentially dreck. And so to get the chance to go, yeah. <laughs> In its face. It made for some quite eggy green rooms afterwards, though. 
<laughs> so, so talking of things, things you must never. No tire wonder it of. was cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> you got two series. We got. We did three. We did. We did three. Was we it did three? three. We did a third series, and then, and then, um, <laughs> I went from eating. <laughs> Where uh, the immortal words, we feel the chat show of the element is holding the show back. <laughs> the chat show element of the show is holding the show back. You think, it's a chat show. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I do longer at the start? What, what, no guests? Uh? <laughs> 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 so, I'm sure you've been asked this a billion times, but a billion and one. How do you react when people don't get... It's a character. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I think if you do a character, you, your best, the, the best way to enter it is to assume that people are going to get the joke. And if they don't, it's funny. It's like, it's a double, it's a prank. It's a cosmic prank. And c- comedians are supposed to be, we're supposed to be agents of mischief. We're not supposed to be cool. We're not supposed to be handsome. We're not supposed to be doing it to be getting laid. We're supposed oh, we, to we're supposed to be. <laughs> we're supposed to. Well, no, but these are all. That, you know, these are. You know, we're, we're certainly not supposed to be uh, handsome and cool. We're meant to be gargoyles. We're meant to be warding off evil spirits. We're meant to be agents of mischief. We're meant to be lords of misrule or something. And if there's a whole chunk of my, I, you know, I get, I get told off by serious people, journalists, that there's a chunk of your audience who don't know what's, don't, don't understand that there's a character. That's fucking hilarious. But they're so dim that they can't see. And they've paid, they've shelled out good money and they're laughing at the wrong end of the joke. That is absolutely priceless. <laughs> it's a glorious cosmic prank. And I, and, uh, I, it, it, I find it, uh, sometimes I almost feel like having to explain that to people. You know, that, that comedy also, also, People aren't one thing. They haven't got one response to everything. They're, they're you know, they're many things. And, and, and the UKIP voter, for instance, can also laugh at himself, you know, uh, as well. And, and should be allowed to laugh at himself. And should be allowed to laugh at anything, anything he fucking likes. And I think that, that, that's kind of, you know, that kind of telling audiences what they should like. Telling, or, telling me I'm wrong to entertain... Because I sometimes get told I'm entertaining the wrong people or something, or mm-hmm. the, wrong, the wrong people have got into your gig. You think, well, who are you to decide? Shut up. Yeah. Shut your face. You know, yeah. we're, meant to be, we're meant to be pixies, you know. We are pixies. We are pixies. We're pixies. <laughs> Especially in those new shoes. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. They're nice. They're lovely. They're very good. Got four pairs and a post. <laughs> <laughs> no, the hats are still in New York. Yeah, I did a race on. It's a long story. Oh. I did a Twitter race. I had hats and shoes coming from two different places. Oh, brilliant! The shoes won. No, the hats came from New York, and then they ended up in a sorting. I'm interviewing Al Murray. <laughs> no, 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 I like. Shit I doesn't like, happen to fucking like Parkinson, does I like it? Hats. I've got some nice hats from New York. Have you? But they're not here yet. <laughs> they're clearing customs. Where, where are they from? Uh, New York Hat Company. All right. Because I go to Lock, I buy my hats in Lock. Yeah, you've got the money for Lock. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> so, we have to wrap it up. Um, what's next? You're finishing off the tour? Well, um, uh, yeah, there's more tour till July, but then we may go out again in the, in the autumn, but I don't know, because I also quite like having a life. And, uh, and, and then in the summer, we're doing a thing on the Spiegel tent on the South Bank, Ooh. where we're going to do a variety thing, where I'm, I'm going to be hosting it. We're gonna, it's going to be like a carny um, thing in the Spiegel tent. And I've got a band who are going to 
play Britney Spears songs in a mournful Berlin, <laughs> mournful Berlin cabaret style oh. and that sort of stuff. Because that that I, I like putting on a show. You know, that's yeah. where it comes from. You know what? A variety show needs juggler. Just saying. Um, <laughs> Only if he can catch a cannonball with his net. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I can fucking do that for real. But what I did, what much funnier. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We're not sure. Now, Andre, Andre, you said do the car boot, didn't you? Andre Vincent's here, yeah. The car boot is the thing from the, the uh, sound effects that was the... This, is the, this was the showstopper, so if we're okay. finishing. We'll close this is the, the showstopping sound effect. It's the sound of a car boot opening and then closing. So, I'll get this on. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it. Mr. Al Mummy, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. <laughs> what a fine gentleman. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for your final and headline act? Yes! You can't do a variety show these days without having this gentleman. He is, put simply... The single most successful variety performer in the country is my absolute pleasure to introduce the boy with tape on his face. It's done. Ladies and gentlemen, we're a little bit over, so I'll keep this sweet and quick. That's our show. I want to thank everybody at the Leicester Square Theatre for being so welcoming and helpful. I want to thank, thank Kirsty on sound over there. Kirsty! I want to thank, thank Maud, our stage manager. I want to thank Claire, our photographer. Ignore this films. And I want to thank Unum Insurance. Which I know, but with th th basically they gave me the funding to make this happen. They made this boy's dream come true, so thank you. And most of all, thank the acts you have seen this evening. Mr Elliot Mason. Mr Pete Wardell. The lovely Mr Al Murray. And of course, the boy with tape on his face. will return, ladies and gentlemen, next month and every month until July. The next show, April the 25th, with, all the way from Sweden, the incredible Johan Lipovitz. Yeah, who is right. Um, all the way from Holland, in fact. This is a European-centric show. Um, the incredible Lisa Lotti. Yeah. Huh? What? And, of course, Lisa Cowardice wasn't actually in the show. That was on the screen, Lisa Carados. You know, of course, let's face it, you have to mention it, you know, because she could crush us all. <laughs> also, on next month's show, hot, hottest cabaret stars in the country, East End Cabaret. <laughs> and, and it makes me a happy boy to be able to say this, I will be talking live on stage and in performance 
a living legend. And one of the reasons, one of the people without which I would not be doing this, Mr. Paul Daniels. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, simple question. Did you have a good night? Yes. Will you come back next month? Yes. Then I will see you then. But until then, that was your London Varieties. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I'd really recommend you come and see the show live. Matt Ricardo's London Varieties happens once a month from the Leicester Square Theatre in the heart of London's West End, and every month it is my pleasure and privilege to host a show packed full of the best variety, circus and cabaret performers in the country. The stage called us the best light entertainment show of the year, and Time Out said the show is captivating and superb. So, find out more about the next show by going to www.mattricardo.com or following me on Twitter at Matt Ricardo. That's one T in Matt. And there's more. If you'd like to see what the show looks like before you book your tickets for the next one, just go to mattricardo.com and you can watch the web TV version of the show in glorious high-definition video for free. This podcast was produced by Sounds Wild with the assistance of Unum. I'd like to thank the Leicester Square Theatre and the British Comedy Guide for hosting the podcast. The next show is April 25th, and we have an amazing lineup: Cabaret Stars, East End Cabaret, The Incredible Lisa Lottie, the hilarious Johan Lipovitz, and, in performance and conversation, the legendary Mr. Paul Daniels. Oh, and I'll be attempting the single most dangerous trick I have ever tried, because I'm a bloody idiot. Hopefully I'll see you there, but until then, this was your London Varieties.